welcome to neither the time nor the flux my name is david as always i am joined ah no i've missed a bit there <laughs> it was going so well man yeah, wasn't it? you got the flux bit in yeah it threw me off it threw me off right a podcast about doctor who that's the bit that i was missing uh, my name is david as we've already established and as always i am joined by the discombobulated matt hello there Hello, Matt. So... Right, we've got to get the episode title in early as well. We didn't do that last week either. Yeah, we, we completely ballsed up on that one. So, uh, to be clear, listeners, we are discussing Once Upon Time mm. this week. Chapter 3 of the Flux Saga. We're already at the halfway point, Matt. I know, I know. What have we got, like yeah. five weeks or so, and then we're done forever? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. We can finally just shut the whole thing off. Yeah. We are, we are, we are still agreed we're going to delete all the episodes, right? Yeah, and we're just going to pick Mate. a new TV show. We'll start reviewing Lost or something. <laughs> uh, I would bail on that after about three weeks. Yeah, we'll do all those shows that were like massive but have had no impact. Like, should we review Heroes, Lost, and 24? <laughs> oh my goodness. I, I'm actually fascinated to know that... When did you jump off Heroes? Uh, never watched it. Did you not? No. That was a very wise decision. Uh, I watched stopped. a little bit of 24, but not much. And uh, I watched Lost, but everyone yeah. watched Lost. Weirdly, I didn't. Oh, man. That, w- that one passed me by. Like by the, uh, I think just because of my personal circumstances, when the first series was airing on... Oh, what would it have been like E four or something like that? Um, I wasn't really, I didn't have much access to TV. I just sort of started um, uni in the middle of nowhere, and you know, I d- this will give you some idea of like how how sort of behind the times my uh, my place of learning was. The halls where I were didn't have internet access. Oh wow! Neither did mine actually. Like, when I lived all. there, I had to go to the computer yeah. lab. If I, I had, yeah, I had to, I had to walk up a hill to get to the library. Mm. Um, so I, I don't know. Yeah, we keep, we keep know. saying we're going to do Torchwood. I, I think we should just go take a massive left turn. Let, let's do Only Fools and Horses. Let's do every episode <laughs> of Only Fools and Horses. <laughs> Or let, let's I'd just review Gremlins 2, but we'll do it every week for a year. <laughs> I'd be fascinated to know how many of our listeners would actually uh, stick around. Because yeah. I, I reckon a few would. Yeah, just a for few... like ten weeks. I think we should yeah. do neither the Fast nor the Furious. <laughs> and we'll just do like the, every Fast and Furious film. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely... There'll be... There'll be... The, the listeners who couldn't really care less about the uh, the Doctor Who chat will, will stick around. And the ones who furiously fast forward through the first 45 minutes of this podcast yeah. would uh, probably just bail altogether at that point. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, it, it's going quick though, isn't it, Flux? Yeah, I, I thought this project would never end and now, like, we're here. I don't know what to do, David. 
It's going to be weird. It's going to be weird when we're caught up, for sure. Um, Shall we get matching tattoos? Shall we get the, the podcast logo tattooed on our chests, like above our heart? <laughs> if, if we were going to do that, I would have put more than 10 minutes effort into yeah. designing it in the first place. Just walk down the street, everyone's like, why have you got a big blue square tattooed on you? I was like, well. <laughs> well then, um, where do you want to begin this week? Um, I'd love you to tell me how your week's been. Uh, okay then. Uh, it's been, it's been all right. Uh, obviously I've been enjoying, uh, had had a lovely bank holiday yesterday. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, just enjoying a bit of time with the old family. It's not been terribly eventful, Matt. What about yours? Uh, well, I've had a full week off. Um, so, like, I've been doing little bits. My little brother's over from Australia. Uh, so we went to yeah. we went to York Marina the other day to look at some boats. Ooh. And I had How fish and that? chips. That was nice. It was lovely. Saw a swan. That was pretty yeah, cool. Tell me about your favourite boat. What was the best boat you saw? Um, well, I'm a bit of a stickler for a barge for a longboat. Uh, but there was a couple of yachts and yeah, just just boats everywhere. Oh, lovely! But they wouldn't let me have a go. Turns out you have to actually own it and pay like for a boat license and stuff. I thought they'd let me at least have a row. Come on! <laughs> I'll tell you what I have been doing recently, Matt. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I made the decision because I was getting like majorly behind on the MCU. Mm-hmm. I just, I really struggle to find the time for, to, to catch up on it because, you know, with my life being what it is, I don't get a lot of time to myself to just sit around and watch TV. Um, and so I made the decision, I'm just going to, even if I only get like 10 minutes at a time, I'm just going to chip away at it on my phone Whenever I've got ten minutes to myself, yeah, that that's the way the filmmakers yeah. intended. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I really, really enjoy it. It's, it's one of the final, like, true forms of art left, isn't it? <laughs> Indeed. It's weird to think that I am actually apparently the target audience for mm. Quibi. Do you remember when Quibi was briefly a thing? Yeah. Yeah, I was begin begin to Quibi. Bought loads of shares in it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, frittered my life yeah, savings on Quibi. Now. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I've been doing that, and, and I'm genuinely curious. Um, I, I mean, we can agree that Shang-Chi was, a, was an excellent film, right? Yeah. There's, don't, there's no discussion to be had there, really. I think it's probably in my top ten for MCU movies. Yeah, I, I think they did a brilliant job in, like, obviously, like, Iron Man's gone now. Yeah. Um, so I think they did a really good job establishing like a new hero for everyone to like. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so very much enjoyed that. But then obviously I had to follow that up with Eternals, and I, I'm fascinated to know what your take is on Eternals. I liked it. I liked it. I don't yeah. think it's like a good MCU film as they are now. But you drop that into Phase One, and it's fine. Yeah, I, I think they've I, just raised the bar to an almost like unobtainable standard, and the wheels were always going to come off, you know, at some point. Yeah, 
I think that's fair. I, 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 I do think the thing that got me was materially there's nothing dreadfully wrong with it, but it has a couple too many main characters in it. Mm. And they're all they're all very sustainable. Boring. Well, that's the thing. They're all very boring because we don't spend enough time with any of them to to flesh them out sufficiently and make you care about them. And yet, the film is two and a half hours long. It's probably... It, it must be the longest, like, entry of in a new sub-franchise of the MCU by some distance. Like, it, obviously it's not as long as, say, uh, Endgame is. But for... A film that's ostensibly just, hey, here's some new guys for you to care about. It's too long. And it, I, I really wish they could have, you know, chopped a good 45 minutes out of it. But do, do you I not think... I don't think it would like, suffer in all this My thoughts are, it, it was a test run, really, before they do the X-Men. They just needed to do a big ensemble team and see what it see what happens. I mean, possibly. I think they could have done with choosing a less boring team to do that with. Yeah, but they'd already if wasted was... the Inhumans on that terrible TV program. Oh gosh! Imagine if they hadn't, if they hadn't shot their bolt already with that, mm. and we got an Inhumans movie instead. But like, I, I was watching the trailer oh, that's for Miss Marvel because that's coming out soon on Disney Plus, and in I'm the comics, so excited for that she's one. an Inhuman. And she just has big stretchy yeah. powers, but in this, they yeah. they've I think they've done it so she's not an inhuman because they don't want to acknowledge what a mistake that was, and yeah, she hasn't got big stretchy powers because I think they're waiting to do that with Mister Fantastic when they do Fantastic Four. Yeah, no, nope, so sense. she's got like weird energy powers. Yeah, I mean that's true, but I'm not bothered about that because for me, I, I've I've read the first run on. Ms. Marvel, it, I, I really enjoyed it, um, and for me, I think her powers are like the least interesting thing about her character. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't bother me that they've given her a different power set for for the for the MCU. Like there yeah. are some, there are some superheroes you couldn't do that with. You couldn't like do Bruce Banner and just give him a completely different... <laughs> yeah, no. You know, not not have the Hulk. That would never work. But but with with Kamala Khan, I, I, what's interesting about her is more that who she is, the stage she's at in her life, and what she chooses to do with her powers. Mm-hmm. You know, growing up in a world where heroes are already really established and idolising them and wanting, when she gets the opportunity, just wanting to be a part of that. I think that's interesting. I think that's the thing that sets her apart from, say, Spider-Man. Yeah. Because otherwise, you know, they, they share a lot of common DNA. Not not the Spider-DNA, obviously, but the, um, the, you know, young teen trying to do good around the neighbourhood juggling that with school life and you know all that kind of thing but yeah I, I, I'm really excited to see what they do with Ms. Marvel for uh, for, the, for TV I think that could be really I, I hope they don't bungle it what, what comes after Eternals is it straight into Spider-Man after that uh, well the thing I'm watching at the moment is Hawkeye 
Oh yeah, I, I really liked Hawkeye. I'm two episodes in, and I'm really enjoying it so far. Yeah, really. Then... Again, it's 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 uh, the, the the Matt Fraction, David Ager run on Hawkeye, is. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say the best thing Marvel have published this century. Oh wow, big clap! I don't, I I don't know that that's even that controversial a statement. Like, the artwork and the writing are both phenomenal in that series, and I really love that it how low stakes it is. Mm-hmm. It's so character focused, and they seem to have managed to bring that into this series. They they. It's not a direct adaptation by any stretch. You know, you couldn't do that because the Hawkeye of the MCU is in a completely different phase of his life to the Hawkeye in the uh, Marvel 616 universe. Yeah. Um, um, and then but, Moon Knight, yeah. I've been watching that. Yeah, the well, that's the thing. Episode. It's the fact that Moon Knight's come out has made me be really buck my ideas up. Be like, come on, you need to catch up because you're behind on all this stuff and Moon Knight's just coming out Doctor Strange is just around the corner and I'm very partial to a bit of Doctor Strange so um, yeah I needed to get my skates on oh, um, good yeah so there we go sorry for all of our listeners who aren't into Marvel yeah because <laughs> that was a that was a highly concentrated bit of Marvel chat there but I kind of needed to get that out of my system Matt <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. lie good good I'm trying to think. Oh, I'll tell you what I, I listened to before we started recording. The trailer for Doctor Who Redacted. Ooh, I've not listened to that yet. What was your impressions of it? Um, neither here nor there. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to make a judgment because it's literally just a trailer going on. There's pre- well, it's Jodie Whittaker going on. The Doctor... Uh, it's a new adventure, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, I'm, I'm very intrigued uh, with Redacted as a concept. I think we talked about what we're probably going to do is... I, I've asked you to hold off on listening to it just in case it preemptively spoils a couple of bits, because it's not that long until we're caught up anyway. Yeah. What we'll probably do is... I think it would have finished by the time we are getting to Legend of the Sea Devils in our watch through for this podcast. So what I would do at that point is make a judgment call on whether we just do one episode covering the whole lot, whether there's enough meat on the bones that we do it week to week or, you know, but it's it's a unique thing. It's we've never really had a sort of like such a because there's been spin-offs, you know, we've had class and, 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 and Torchwood and stuff like that, but this is a this is, seems to be sort of just running parallel mm. to a greater extent um, yeah, I'm very intrigued to see what's uh, what the deal is with uh, Doctor Who Redacted yeah, uh, yeah time will tell um, so then Matt Shall we move into the uh, into the regular features? Yeah, why not? Have, have you got a joke for me this week? Oh, courtesy of Little Zorbs. Mm. Yes, I do. Um, I, I, I asked him today at breakfast if he had uh, a new joke. And so he asked me, uh, why did the horse cross the road and 
the answer was obviously because there's a car coming. Yeah. So I said to him, "No, have you got? Have you got uh, like it's a recycling old material?" Yeah, exactly. I don't want to get in lazy. Not so early into no. proceedings. So I, I, I pressed him for a new joke, and uh, this is what he came up with, Matt. Why did the pig cross the road? Was it because there's a car coming? No, because there's a bicycle coming. Oh. Wow, he's double bluffed me there. Yeah, yeah. Switch things up a bit. Yeah. Wow. So there you go. That's his joke for the week. Uh, he's clever, isn't he? He's clever. Yeah, Oh, it'd be fascinating to know what animal and vehicle combination <laughs> yeah. next week. Yeah. Wow. You know, we'll, we'll be doing this in, you know, 25 weeks from now, and it'll be like, why did the platypus cross the road? <laughs> yeah. Because. Well, because it's, I, I, it's funny. This week. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry. Me, me and my brothers, we went axe throwing just as a day out. Mm-hmm. And um, yes, I I was put on the spot. I mean, as you do. And the guy yeah. who was like in charge was giving everyone silly nicknames, and he asked me what my favourite nautical creature was, and from nowhere I just went, I think it's a porpoise. <laughs> and then he just looked at me for ages, and he just went, No, it isn't, is it? Where's that come from? And in the end, I had to go. Um, what about a narwhal? And he, he accepted my second answer. I, I don't know where it came from. I just went, um, a porpoise, please? But I love that he was able to call you out on it. Yeah, he was just like, that's... a porpoise is nobody's favourite animal. Give me a yeah, sensible that's answer. A, that's a real power move, I think, to stare a, a stranger in the eyes and say, I know you better than you know yourself. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Wow. He doesn't know me. Maybe I do like porpoises. Yeah. I mean, nobody I mean, likes porpoises. So. I, I don't... I'd be honest, I've never really been clear on what the distinction is where, where, where a dolphin ends and a porpoise begins. I think it's similar to horses and ponies. I think, I think a porpoise is just a crap dolphin. <laughs> you know how, like, a pony's just, like, a little weird horse? It's just like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. It, it could well be. Could well be. That's what we're looking at there. Um, all right then, Matt. You got any uh, N words for me this week? Yeah. Oh, let me phrase that. <laughs> Let, let's sit down and, and say the N words together. So in the A to Z, we're up to N this week, David. Yes, we are. Yeah, I've started putting together the second compendium of the A to Z for Christmas release. Excellent. Yeah, we're going to be lucky if it's sub seven hours when I put that whole thing together. Good Lord. And I I hope at least one person listens to all seven of those hours. Yeah. What what I'm going to do is just edit in some some new audio where I'm going to ask five questions where the answers will form some sort of riddle. And if you solve that and send me the answer, like... Immediately inducted into the Martin McLean Hall of Fame. That's that's some pretty good high concept stuff. Yeah, down yeah. for that. Right, are you ready for N, David? Can I give you some episodes? I am ready for N. 
Yes. What do you make of, and I already know the answer to this question, New Earth? I, I, I love it. Instant classic. One of my faves. Okay. How do you feel about the next Doctor? <laughs> Uh, that's terrible. <laughs> Probably the worst Christmas special. Yeah. What about yeah. Night Terrors? Um, solid Gatiss, but not his best. No, Night Terrors is tinged with sadness for me because that's the episode we had a big argument. It is. Yeah, yeah, we had our big old bust up that that day. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I still don't think we've revealed why we fell out, so I'm just going to come clean now, of course. David. Yeah. So, obviously, the reason we fell out is... So, there yeah, we go. That, that's that. why that episode's tinged with sadness for me. Yeah, well, it's good that the truth is out there, I think, yeah. at this point. It's been long enough, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Just don't get cold feet and, like, censor it in the edit or anything. What, what about an episode that has made absolutely no impact on my life and I can't remember a single thing about it? Nightmare in Silver. Uh, it was the second one by Neil Gaiman. Early Clara. Very fast Cybermen. Don't remember a thing um, about the it. Doctor play, the Doctor plays a game of chess with um, a cyber version of himself. Oh, I do remember that. Is, is it a bit where they're all in a castle yeah. and the Cybermen are invading a castle? Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like an abandoned theme park on the moon. Oh, God. And there's it's some got a kids lot of there. ideas. Yeah, there's some kids there. There's a lot of ideas going on in Nightmare and Silver, but none of them come together yeah. to make anything substantial. Uh, what about an episode that I do remember, and I remember that I don't like it? Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror. Ooh, yes. Um, yeah, I like that one. I think it is good. I suppose somebody's got to. Um, yep. Would you like some aliens, David? Uh, sure. Before we do, I'm just going to quickly drop in the the only classic story that begins with N, whilst we're on the subject, which is Nightmare of Eden. Mm-hmm. Which is okay. I think uh, I'm right in saying it's the, the the story that introduces K9, so it's got that going for it. Oh, great. If not, uh, yeah. Give me some. Give me some aliens. Okay. The nesting consciousness. Yeah, you like an auton, don't you? Yeah, love them. Love them. Give me Spearhead from space again. Yeah. I mean, they did. They called it Rose. Yeah. Yeah. Except it didn't have, like, Pertwee going around, like, uh, saying the word facsimile loads over and over again. (laughs) Um, I never know how to say this, David. What about the Nymons or the Nimons or the Nymons? Yeah, it's Nymons. You're correct. It's Nymons. Uh, you'll find out in due course, won't you? Mm, what you yeah. think of the nine one? Yeah, that was a listener suggestion, wasn't it? Was that Mark? Yeah, it was. Yeah, we got to get we got to get back on that train, haven't we? I'll be honest, Matt. I'm probably the the one holding us up at the moment. I've lost my Kindle. Oh really? I got halfway through damaged goods, and then I've misplaced my Kindle. And I've been saying for two weeks, oh, it'll turn up, and it hasn't turned up. Now, so I think I'm going to have to take evasive measures. Now, in that vein, David, uh, today yeah. when we were recording, I lost my microphone. Couldn't find it anywhere. Um, oh, no. I, I did find it in the end. But also, when I moved house a couple of weeks ago, I found a Kindle. Forgot I bought one. So if you want one, I've got a spare. 
Ah, oh, that's good to know. <laughs> yeah. Just like in amongst um, my bookcases, yeah. I thought it was just a funny little book, but it was just the box that the Kindle was in. Yeah, you're not, you're not much of a Kindle user then. Uh, I bought one and I put loads of PDFs on it and stuff, and then I, I prefer just the feel of a book. Yeah, I'm sort of the same. It it and it honestly comes down to me. There's some stuff where there's stuff that I I want to read that isn't easy to get hold of. It, mm-hmm. You know, that's like out of print or, you know, is um, just so so obscure that it's only really available as an ebook and stuff like that. So, um, that kind of stuff I I tend to use it for. But if I just want like. If I just want to read just for fun, I much prefer just getting a, a tatty old paperback and just digging in. Mm. Right, we're, we're getting well sidetracked here. Um, we would are. You like I'm some... in a chatty mood today, apparently. Say again, sorry. I said I'm in, I'm in a chatty mood today for some reason. Yeah, yeah. It's all right. We only started recording an hour and a half later than we wanted to. Um... <laughs> it's true. And, and this is taking up my Saturday night, because we can't record tomorrow, because you want to watch the new episode of Doctor Who. Yeah, that is true, also. Right. Uh, do you want some characters? Yeah, go on. What about Nardole? Nardole, yes. Yes to Nardole. I, I think I give him a pass, just because I liked the season he was in so much. Yeah, and also, you know, Matt Lucas. Mm. Good egg. And then, what about Nyssa? I like Nyssa. We've seen Nyssa, haven't we? I always confuse her and all the others together. Those generic 1980s women. And that makes me sound horrible. (laughs) It's just... (laughs) No, it's reasonable. It's it's a reasonable assumption to make. It's her Um, and Tegan and Perry. And I only know which one Perry is, because she was the one that got, like, choked out. I think Nissa is probably she's the one who tends to blend in the background a little more. Mm-hmm. So you know, and that's no slight on her as a character. It's just the sort of person that she is. Um, but yeah, I do really like Nissa. Right, and then I've got a couple of actors. Yeah, I've got Nicholas, father of James Courtney. Of course, yeah. And I've got Nicola Bryant, who, of course, played Perry. Indeed she did. Um, yeah, I, you know, interesting story. I don't know if I've ever mentioned it when we've talked about Perry before, but um, do you know how she got the role? Um, no, I don't think we have discussed They'd... that. They decided they wanted to have an American companion in the same way that they'd recently done you know, having an Australian companion in the form of Tegan. And so they, they cast an Australian to play her. And so they decided they wanted to cast an American actress um, as um, Perry. Nicola Bryant, of course, is not American. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happened was a casting agent had seen her in a sort of like I think it was sort of like end of drama school kind of production in which she played an American character and he just sort of made a note of her and assumed that she was American mm-hmm. and sort of had her on a book. So so the offer came through to her agent, you know, saying we're looking for an American and we, we know 
you know, you've got this Nicola Bryant on your books, who is an American. So we'd, we'd, we'd quite like to see her for this role. And so Nicola Bryant was like, kind of on the fence, like, do I just show up and pretend I'm American for the entire duration of the audition? Or do I blow my chances? Or do I turn it down? And so she did. She just she just turned up and, you know, like, even when she wasn't doing the lines, you know, just, just pretended to be American the entire duration of the audition. And then when they offered her the part, she kind of came clean. Wow. But they, but by which point, you know, wheels are in motion. It was the BBC. It would be too much hassle to hire someone else. I, I'd have sacked her on the spot for a deception. <laughs> She'd be getting a P45 and asked to leave. Yeah. It's um, a profession acting, isn't it? Yeah. Right, That that's everything from me this week. Have you got any suggestions right. you want to add? Well, I like to talk about writers for a bit, don't I? So, and we don't. It's not a long list this week. Um, we've got Peter R. Newman, who wrote the Censorites, uh, an underrated Hartnell story. Uh, we've got Simon Nye, obviously uh, best known for uh, being the creator of Men Behaving Badly, but also did give us Amy's Choice in the world of Doctor Who. And we've got one other writer who I suppose it would probably be worth mentioning, given the fact that he's responsible for 56 different episodes of Doctor Who, um, and probably the most iconic villains in the history of the show, a chap by the name of Terry Nation. Oh, yeah. I forgot about him. Yeah. Uncle Terry, as us fans like to call uh, him. No, no, you're thinking of Terence Dix there. Oh, I've got two Terry. Uncle Terrys. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, Terry Nation. Now, I've never quite gotten to grips with whether I think Terry Nation is a good writer or not. <laughs> um, he certainly had some good ideas. And he knew they were good ideas because he kept using them. <laughs> Uh, and just reiterating them in various ways. Yeah, but if that's not Doctor Who at its core, then what is... <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, and at the end of the day, he he gave us the Daleks. Would Doctor Who still be, you know, a thing if it weren't for the Daleks and for their popularity? Probably not. So I kind of... I feel duty-bound... To give old Terry Nation the nod this week. Um, I wouldn't say that many of his stories are... Excuse me. I wouldn't say many of his stories are amongst my favourite in Classic Who. There are a few that I quite enjoy, but... he's There are other writers of that era that I enjoy more. But I think we just have to acknowledge... The, the the extent to which the success of the show you know rested on his shoulders so, so uh, are you going yeah. for Terry Nation as your nomination this week I think I, I think I am yeah yeah uh, I don't think there's anything else I mean I'm not you know I'm not going for the flipping Nymon am I <laughs> well I, I've actually withheld my nominations and I'm nominating a pair together I'm nominating Knight and Name of the Doctor together. Ooh, nice. 
Because yeah. like I know I know name of the doctors like the big one, but the end of Night of the Doctors yeah. is the best bit. Like <laughs> I think the reveal's better than the payoff. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like it. But uh, yeah, it's yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, it, there is just there is something kind of magical about that whole run around, towards the end of Matt Smith's era, where it sort of you know starts barreling into the fiftieth anniversary. There's just there is a certain kind of fairy dust over that that little stretch mm. that Moffat manages to to, to sprinkle onto proceedings. Do you, just, do you not feel the same way with just, Flux, with its absolutely mental thousand mile an hour storytelling that doesn't make a great deal of sense? <laughs> I don't feel exactly the same, but I will tell you right. I will tell you right now, Matt. I genuinely love this series. Mm, I can tell unapologetically, um, but but also I agree it's bonkers. Are, are we getting into it? We, well, we can't just yet, can we? We've got we've got. No, we've we've got the news we to have, go. We have. So let's let's quickly uh, deal with that. Uh, now that obviously we have to start with the big news. Yeah. The casting yeah. of the fourteenth Doctor. What I'm unclear on because I can't remember is uh, whose turn it is this week. Um, it's yours. I'm I'm going to let you uh, choose this week. I was worried you were going to say that, Matt. Um, Last week I suggested the man who runs the trolley bays at local Tesco's. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say... Uh, beige curtains. It's in beige curtains this week. I'm definitely not just saying the first thing I saw when I looked up from my desk. Oh, do you know what? When I looked up from my desk and looked out the window, David, there, yeah. there, there was a hearse that's just driven past, and the flowers in the back spelt out 14th Doctor announcement joke. <laughs> it, it's as though this segment's just died. <laughs> it's uncanny, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So we'll just have a moment of solemn silence as we say goodbye. <laughs> Till next week. I'll think of something good for next week. I We've we've just been busy. We've been busy. It's Easter. We have. It it is indeed. Um, yeah. All right. Do you want do you want to hear some clickbait nonsense? Oh yes. There better be a list uh, of you know who's going to be the fourteenth Doctor. Well, I reckon you're not going to want to go past the first one because the top hit is an article from the Guardian saying, "Ditch the TARDIS. Seven ways Russell T Davies could revive Doctor Who." Yes, please. That's a juicy one. And we're clicking on it. Let's see. So this is from Martin Bellum. Right. Be before, before we do, David, I yeah. just want you to give me one way that RTD can save the show. Um, I mean, I, I, do, I do take issue with the premise that the show needs saving. But if... Um, if I were in his shoes, what would I be doing differently? I'm going to say it would because it's it, it's easy to go with something like sort of stunt casting, 
But I think we kind of saw with the casting of Jodie Whittaker, huge ratings for the first couple of episodes, and then it very quickly tailed off to the same group of people who've been watching it all along, you know. Um, so I don't think it, the, the issue lies with casting. I'm going to say, and I could be wrong about this, go off world a bit more. Really? I think, because if you look at what RTD did last time, with his first series, there were basically no episodes that weren't set on Earth or, you know, human colonies from Earth. You know, it, it wasn't... It was a very grounded, Earth-centric series. And I think you go, you go fantastical, you get some big, weird, colourful aliens in the trailer, and you kind of make it... You give it a sense of spectacle and scale. A, a little bit more of that like classic Star Wars you know smorgasbord of you know make the universe feel big right does that make sense see what I think for my suggestion is going back to when we were talking about Night of the Doctor Day of the Doctor and all that link the yeah. show back in on itself like they did there like with yeah. Flux and the end of Chibnall's era, he's like started writing his own law, and I don't know how much I like it. You know, you've got all yeah, these established I mean, ideas, and they've kind of just gone right. Well, we're just going to do a break here and tell you what's really going sure. on. Sure, but do you hook in new viewers by just hearkening back to the past? No, no. So. That's the danger. But I do think you may be onto something purely because he's taking over at the point that, you know, his first job is sorting out the 60th anniversary. Mm. And that, you know, it, it, that is obviously an excuse for a bit of nostalgia. Yeah. So I do so think we're going to be getting a bit of a nostalgia. Maybe I'd change my suggestion to, like, occasional mild nudity. That's always a good way to hook like, <laughs> in viewers. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that would work. Yeah. Let's go with that. I'm going to email him right now. <laughs> I'll tell you what the other thing is. And I, 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 I sound like such a stereotypical Doctor Who fan right now. Because I know this is something Doctor Who fans harp on about. And maybe other people don't care about it. But I feel like it's been long enough that we don't know if people don't care about it. I'm mm -hmm. going to say historical companion. Wow. I think... You could, if you sold it the right way, you could get a lot of people intrigued and watching if it's like, we've got, you know, the Doctor's new companion is from like 1762 and he's taking them to present day Earth and he's taking them into, you know, far reaches of space and we get to see, you know, them be, we get, we get to see their minds being blown on a scale that we've not seen in New Who because, you know, whilst, you know, as by constantly having contemporary companions, you know, you take them into the far future, but it's like, you know, people are still 
like they yeah they're controlling spaceships, but they're still using touch screens to do it. It's like yeah, I've seen a touch screen before. This may, <laughs> you know, do you know what I mean? Um, I think it could work if you really lent into it as a gi- bit of a gimmick. Yeah, well, something a bit different, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Well, what does we the see? Guardian say? Shall we see? Let's see. So Martin Bay. Uh, is it Balam? Balam? Not sure. Um, writing for the Guardian says the following. Okay, so one double down on fun and adventure. I mean, sure. Leave the grim and gritty reboots of beloved characters to the DC movies and get back to the program's adventure roots. Is the Chipolera grim and gritty? No, but it's certainly not fun either. <laughs> you know, it. Yeah. Like, the fun uh, every episode is Bradley Walsh makes one joke about being an old man, and that's it. Yeah. Mate, I, I, I do see where he's coming from with this, and I think he, I'll, I'll be interested to see if you agree with this statement. Uh, it was originally a show featuring action with Doctor Who, not about the character. We mm. don't need to know that the Doctor is weighed down with the angst of having lived for centuries. We just need to know that something somewhere is wrong and needs putting right, and that the Doctor and their friends are in danger, and that they are going to get out of it by using brains rather than brawn. I think when you unpack it like that, see where he's coming from, I don't know that that's unreasonable, but also I do think that can make things feel a little weightless. I do think you need some human drama to to ground it and to hook people in, mm-hmm. and maybe that you lean on the companions for that rather than the doctor. But I don't think you can make it just that lightweight and expect people to keep tuning in every week. Okay, um, next statement decide that less is more the bbc's budget for doctor who is minuscule compared to the amount that amazon disney plus netflix can throw at episodes of the sci-fi and fantasy shows rather than trying to compete week by week the show could ditch the traditional series format and focus on making two or three movie length specials each year that would provide the scope to expand the production budget while providing extra opportunities for publicity throughout the year would you prefer that? Would you like that? I don't think I would. But again, this is me as someone who is already an established Doctor Who fan. And what I like about it is I like having lots of stories for each Doctor. Mm-hmm. You know? And I would really worry if we got, you know, a new Doctor cast and they do three years and it's two or three specials a year and by so by the end of their time they've done like seven stories mm-hmm. that would suck for me maybe other people wouldn't care because you know they would be all big spectacular film length yada yada i don't know i kind of I think you need to balance the spectacle with the smaller scale stuff i like having both i like it when doctor who does a lot with a little and you get you know you think about like some of the really cheap episodes like the girl who waited that was an incredibly cheap cheap episode it's basically three people wandering around some white rooms but it's brilliant mm. 
so I don't know. I don't think it has to. I don't think it has to be all flash and spectacle. Every story to make it count. What about you? What do you like? What do you think about the idea of there being like movie length specials? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I know this would be incredibly time consuming, but instead of movie length specials, maybe just shorter series like we've got with Flux where it's six episodes and maybe just do yeah. instead of one big series just do a couple of little series a year so you've got that big overarching story but you can do several small stories within it yeah that makes sense you shall see I guess um, alright so I tell you what I'm going to say quickly, Matt. I'm I'm aware that we're running out of time <laughs> to wrap up this episode. So what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to make this a two-parter. Oh. And we'll we'll do we'll do one more point on this article, and we will return to this article next week for the next edition of Have I Got Who's for You. So we're gonna we're gonna tackle this one now, and then we'll. We'll, we'll do it like a so, Doctor Who cliffhanger where we're falling off the edge of a mountain but then next week we're just okay. <laughs> yeah. So, the final point for this week. Set it mostly in the past. Any sci-fi franchise can do a multiverse or imagine future dystopias but the TARDIS gives Doctor Who the perhaps unique opportunity to take the viewer into the past and meet key historical figures and witness pivotal moments from history with added alien menace. Why not take that further? Pick up a companion from the 1990s or 1930s or 1880s and set a series mostly in that time period, exploring modern issues through the attitudes of the past. Think ashes to ashes, but with monsters. Um, so, for a second, I thought they were agreeing with me that have a historical companion, but then my thing is, like, take them out of their time, put them in other times, and see how they cope with that. Whereas what they're saying is just the TARDIS just, I don't know, turns up in the 80s and stays there. Mm. I don't know that I'm into that. No, no. I do like the idea of being in the past, but not forever. Yeah. And also, that feels like a weird thing to say. Like, this is something Russell T. Davis needs to do, implying that Chibnall isn't doing it. If there's one thing you could say about the Chibnall era is that he takes a historical seriously. Yeah, yeah. And puts a lot of effort into them and a lot of thought into them. So that strikes me as a, a touch disingenuous. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, like I say, the, show, the show's fine. It doesn't need saving. It just needs preserving. Yeah, it just they, needs you know, picking they, up and dusting down. Yeah, because, like, yeah, it needs a new lick of paint, cause, but the, it always does. That's kind of the point of it, you know. It, there are always ways to subtly reinvent it. Um, but I, I, I'm firmly of the opinion that time is going to be kind to the Chippewa era. I think it's been a lot of... it. You know, it's been repeatedly kicked all the way through but I think give it five or six years 
and people will mellow out and settle down a bit and start actually just looking at what we actually got this in this era and we'll realize that they're making a lot of fuss over very little at times i am firmly of that opinion uh, i may be wrong but I, I hope i'm not um all right here we go then matt let's do it yep once upon a time Hopefully, once upon a time whatever 30 it's minutes or so and then and then we can all go to bed so well i've got some bad news for you david um, yeah the bad, news, the bad news is we've got bloody listener tweets haven't we all right let's rattle through them oh, god there's loads i'm gonna warn you <laughs> <laughs> I, I told you we should have canned listener tweets for flux yeah okay Right. I'm strapped in. Right. So, those damn dirty boys from the Who Can Convince You pod say hello, David. Hello. Uh, They say N is for Nightmare of Eden. Mm -hmm. Uh, We then have a message from Amy. Say hello, David. Hello, Amy. Amy says, it's good. There is a pickup in energy. You feel it is really leading somewhere. It was interesting that Yaz kept ending up in Vinda's memories. If they're going to do the show, sorry, if they are going to show a part of the fugitive, fugitive Doctor's time, then it should be her scene and not thirteen. N is for name of the Doctor. Yep. Right. Next message comes from Ariel. Say hello, David. Hi, Ariel. Who says, it's nice getting to learn more about people's backstories. My thoughts, I said right after watching, were pretty decent. Probably my least favourite of the series so far, though. And I was worried about them ruining the angels. Also very interested in Belle and Vinda's love story. And N is for Nardole. I had a surprisingly hard time with this letter. Yeah, it, I'm, I was surprised that it wasn't war for the letter. You know, it's a one-pointer in Scrabble. Yeah. yeah. I feel like there should be more end stuff out there, but anyway. Uh, the next tweet, David, comes from the Cloister Bell podcast, who I will be sitting down with in two days' time to discuss this episode about the Sea Devils that I'm not going to watch. So that'll be fun. <laughs> it will be fun. Um yeah, uh, hello, Cloister Bell. Uh, they say, probably the most intriguing of the bunch, with seemingly the promise of more Fugitive Doctor. Sadly, that hasn't happened yet. N is for Next Time Trailers. Ooh, controversial. You a fan of the Next Time Trailers, Matt? Uh, um, I, well, I stopped watching them to avoid spoilers, so... Yeah, that's the thing. There are some horribly spoilerific ones. I... I have, you know, for many years, part of my Doctor Who ritual when I'm watching a new episode, with very few exceptions, is the second the, the, the closing credits start, I'm dashing to switch my TV off. Yeah. For yeah. fear of spoilers. Right. The next tweet comes from James, son of Nicholas Courtney. But funnily enough, he says N is for the web planet. I don't get that joke. But he hasn't nominated Nicholas Courtney, not nominated his own dad, David. Yeah, that's shameful, isn't it? Yeah. Bit of Oedipus complex going on there, if you ask me. Possibly. Right. It's for the web planet. I'm trying to figure that one out. Is he just being, you know, just 
uh, cheekily abstruse there. Yeah. Start your own podcast. Make all the jokes you want. Right, everyone knows listener tweets are respected part of our show. Indeed, that we absolutely hate and resent doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the best idea we've ever had, is it? It's not, no. No. Should we next week? Should we just do would I like to who instead and just not do listener tweets? Oh, that would be a lovely treat, wouldn't it? Yeah, I'll edit this bit out and we won't acknowledge it. We'll just do that instead next week. I I think people will be very cross if we don't do listen to tweets next week. Yeah, well. Right, James Courtney says, It's big, bold, mad, and I love it. It's full to the brim with abstract sci-fi ideas. My biggest issue with it, apart from the CGI Daleks, was how small Joe Martin's role was. Could we not have swapped to her when we first see her in the mirror? Yeah. I mean, I'll just come out and say it, 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 this is the second time someone said it in tweets, or maybe third, actually. Um, I was going to make the point later, but everyone else is making it. Yeah, 100% agree. It's so frustrating when once once we have established, we've had the look in the mirror, that it's it, we are in the fugitive doctor's uh, shoes at that point. Just give us Joe Martin. Have the occasional flash in of, of, of Whitaker, but I want to see Joe Martin doing those scenes. It's annoying. Anyway. Right. Um, the next message was from Rob Henderson, but I'm saving that because that's tweet of the week this week, David. Okay. Oh, yes. Yeah, I, I, I have actually seen that one already, and I, I know why you're saying that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So then we've got James Swifty Swift. Say hello, David. Hello, James. Uh, James says, this episode is very good. It lends itself better to a rewatch. Once it clicks on what's going on with the story, it's just an enjoyable story. And like always, Whitaker has a hard job, but she pulls it off perfectly. Yeah. Right. We then have Martin McLean Hall of Famer Sonia. Say hello, David. Hi, Sonia. Uh, Sonia says, I had a good time with this episode. Just watched it last night. I really enjoyed figuring out Belle's story and how it fit in. I felt like some of the puzzle pieces are coming together. Interesting to see Vinda's backstory as well. N is for nanogene, like in The Empty Child and The Doctor Dances. Ooh, yes. Yeah. Right. Uh, what do you want next, David? You can have Tweet of the Week or you can have BT Flippity Giggard. Let's, let's have BT first. Okay. So, David, the next tweet comes from BT Flippity Giggard. Please say hello. Okay, well, I've actually got a guest in this week to, to say hello. Um, it's it's a sea devil. You oh, know? wow. Hot, hot off the, the... Yeah, you know, they've obviously they've just been uh, uh, filming pickups for Legend of the Sea Devils ahead of uh, tomorrow's broadcast. Um, but I've got one now to, to, to say a couple of words for us. Yeah, uh, take it away, sea devil. <coughs> For context, Matt, that's that's not what they sound like. They don't. It'd be great if they did, though. Oh, the, the, genuinely, my favourite part of our show. <laughs> wow, colour me excited to see this episode, David. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm genuinely hyped. I cannot wait. Wow. 
They, they even, when I was listening to Married to Who this week, David, even mm-hmm. they did a little bit of a BT flibbity giggered like, little intro, which was nice. Did they? Spreading the love oh, around. Lovely. Right. Yeah. BT says, the best part of this episode is easily Belle. Love seeing how Flux is affecting the rest of the universe. Uh, that almost, sorry, that mostly got destroyed. The rest I can take or leave, but at least there's some good setup in retrospect. Such as the Grand Serpent, um, and it's clear that Chris Chibnall has been watching Thor Ragnarok. N is for nine, mm-hmm. as in the three versions of the Ninth Doctor: Eccleston, Schalke, uh, and Curse of Fatal Death. Oh yeah, good one. Like that. Um, all right then, tweet of the week. Tweet of the week. Um, sorry, there was a few tweets because I said I'd just made my world-famous macaroni cheese. Uh, so a few, few people have asked me for the recipe. But Tweet of the Week this week, David, goes to Rod Henderson. Say hello, David. Hi, Rod. Uh, Rod says, love this. The plot is nonsense and is very flimsy, but it doesn't hide that it's a vehicle for the cast and for the writers and production team rather than a solid Christmas story. It's funny, sad and joyous. I've also, by listening to your episode on Twice Upon a Time on the way home, realised I've yet again tweeted about the wrong episode. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the titles are very similar, to be fair. Yeah. We forgive you. We and, forgive. and you know what? Apart from the, the reference to Christmas, you could probably say most of that about this episode as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's there. There is some commonality there, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, great stuff. Right then, Matt. Um, we've heard what everyone else thinks about Once Upon Time, but what I want to know is, what did you make of this story? Um, in equal measure, I quite enjoyed it and absolutely hated it. That is fair. That is fair. I, I was thinking about this earlier, because obviously these these are still much fresher in my mind. And they haven't had, you know, I haven't had years to carry them around with me and mm-hmm. really firm up my opinions. But I think I am of the opinion that this is a really great, interesting episode. But if somebody turned around to me and said... I hated this. It is one of my least favourite episodes of Doctor Who ever. I would struggle to mount much of a defence. Once I worked out just what was like, going on... Yeah, fine, I makes started sense. To, yeah, I started to enjoy it. But like yeah. when it was just random scene after random scene, I was like, oh, yeah. is Chris Chibnall trying to be too clever with this? Like, what is going on? And yeah, uh, yeah the, there's yeah. large chunks I could... that I really didn't enjoy. And then when I'd finished it, I was like, oh, that was okay. Yeah, I think I, I, I think I can see how this would be just incredibly annoying for someone. And even with the payoff, for some people, it's just not going to be enough. And they're going to be like, oh, no, that was just. A ver- a- a very, you know, a, a very strange and needlessly complicated way to deliver some quite basic, you know, 
backstory mm. for some supporting characters. Like, I, I've got a page of notes that make no sense at all. <laughs> because no two scenes are sequential. And not just yeah. that, they're not even set in the same timeline or universe. It was just and most, bit and most after of the people bit. You're, and the, most of the people you're seeing on screen are actually the people you think they are. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, the old the old saying of necessity is the mother of invention. I think this is the episode that the most clearly is a product of the circumstances in which this series was being made. Yeah. The yeah. Crystal Tribunal is trying to tell a massive story on a tiny budget with a handful of actors who are stuck in front of a green screen in Cardiff. Yeah, I think... I think you've got to keep that in the back of your mind when you watch this. Yeah. yeah. And I, I I really applaud everyone for the for the creativity and I, I imagine incredible hard work that went into making something remotely watchable. Um uh, you know, out of those circumstances. And in particular I think this episode is it's so unlike anything we've ever seen from Doctor Who before, or probably will ever see again. And I think it is very particularly Chibnall-esque, in a way. Mm-hmm. In the, the the style of weirdness. Like, I could sort of imagine Moffat doing something like this, but his version would be a lot snarkier and a lot... It wouldn't have the sort of earnestness that this one does. Mm-hmm. And I, and I couldn't imagine RTD even trying something like this. You know, he's a much more linear writer, and a you know he likes he likes to keep things grounded. And this is this is about as ungrounded as television could be. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, I, 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 I love it, but it's it's I can it's a Marmite episode. I can see why it's not going to be everyone's bag. Um, right, let's dive into your incomprehensible notes, yeah. shall we? So this is Once Upon Time, episode three of season thirteen, Flux, um, from the fourteenth of November two thousand and twenty-one, written by Chris Chibnall, as we've already said, and directed, directed, directed. By Azur Salim, who doesn't have a Wikipedia yes, um, page, so I don't think he's done no. any before. Uh, no, this is this. He was brand new to the series. He's he it. It was just him and Jamie Magnastone for this whole across the six episodes. They did three each. Right. Okay. Um, so we what, open with what a, Bell's what a, Can story. I say those? Say again. Sorry. Sorry. I was just going to say. I mean. Talk about a baptism of fire, though. Imagine this being your first high-profile TV directing gig. Mm. This is a complicated thing to be doing. Yeah. Um, With an absolute so cutthroat fandom as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, right, let's get into it. So, we open with Bell's story, who is around at the immediate aftermath of The Flux. Okay. Yeah. So before we even get any further, let's just talk about that on-screen title, Bell Story. Like, that's just like that's a massive thing to just whack you around the face. Mm. 
right at the top of the episode. And I was like, when this episode started, I was like, okay, right, are we going to be like cutting between various different people you like we'll do Belle's story and then we'll do i don't know adrian's story and then we'll you know we'll have like these like little microcosm stories of of pe- how people are being affected by the flux i thought that's what we was going for and then it gets to the end of the episode and the first time i watched it i was just like oh no they just didn't do any of that it was just Belle's story and then it it it's just that they've introduced a new character and pepper to rim through the episode that is a strange choice to me still i don't i think you could have taken that out and it wouldn't have negatively affected uh any of 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 what comes thereafter yeah but also like she exists in the aftermath of the flux and i thought the flux was going around destroying planets but it's just like it's just like an untidy house guest it just turns up makes a mess and leaves i think it just depends Depends mm. where it is and what it's what it's doing in that moment. Uh, so, following the flux, the Daleks are beginning to capitalise. The Dalek sector is growing, but there's things out there more fearsome than the Daleks. Feasting on the wreckage. And we see, like, this blue cloud of, like, glittery smoke that, yeah. you know, is dissolving everything in its path. Okay. Now... I think I've mentioned before on pod, I do not have brilliant eyesight. I have a condition with my eyes that basically, you know, gives everything a slightly impressionistic quality. Um, And I also don't have a very large television. So I've never been able to uh, ascertain, is that good CGI or not? That, like, blue... Uh, There's definitely, like, shonkier CGI in this episode, I would say. Okay, yeah. To me, it had a bit of a video gamey quality to it, but I couldn't tell if that's just my eyes, whether that that was that's a fair assessment. Are you playing any video games at the moment? We haven't checked in on how you're playing on Mist or anything. Uh, I've I've not touched Mist. I've I'll be honest. It's a lot, been a lot of Captain Toad with little Zorbs. Like I, a lot of. I wonder if there. we've like reached the one year anniversary of you playing Mist. Oh, probably, probably. Yeah. I got about I got about forty minutes into it and then got distracted, <laughs> as is my want. Um, but uh, for for myself, I've mostly it's been for the last sort of six months or so. It's just been Slay the Spire. <laughs> cool. Playing a lot else. Cool. Yeah. Right. Uh, Belle is trying to reach her love. Now, I know at the end it reveals who that is, but I was thinking, well, there's only been like two characters introduced that it can be. So it's either going to be one of them or it's going to be Carvanista. So. <laughs> <laughs> I would love it if it was Carvanista. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of solved that mystery pretty early. Right. This is where we go past the credits, past the titles. And the episode goes a bit mad, right? So yeah. we start with the Doctor evaluating the situation a bit like Sherlock Holmes does. And she ultimately yeah. leaps into the time stream with Yaz, Dan and Vinda. Yeah, and it's not often it's very, very rare that we get the doctor's like inner monologue mm. as voiceover. It has happened before. I, I, I seem to I think, think Capaldi one... did it. 
a couple of times. Yes. But then at the same time, he did it where he was talking to camera at the same time. Yeah, oh, that's true. Yeah, heaven sent. Uh, There is also definitely um, a Troughton story that Mm -hmm. uses it. But it, it's it's not a, th- a device that's used very often in Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Right. So whilst they're in the time stream, a weeping angel appears. Yep. <clears throat> Excuse me. And all of a sudden, the Doctor, Dan, Yaz and Vinda are the resistance. They're going to go siege uh, At- Atropos, where yep. the... I can't even remember what they're called. Not the Revenants. The... What are they called? The Ravagers. The Ravagers are hiding out. Okay. But at the same time, Dan is back in Liverpool having a coffee with Diane. Mm -hmm. And sees the same thing that Belle saw in the sky. This blue, glittery cloud. Yeah. Uh, We find out that Dan was almost married and was, you know, yeah. dumped a couple of days before his wedding, just to really re-emphasise that he's such a good guy. I mean, I don't know that that's really what that episode, what that seems doing, but I do think, I do appreciate that extra, that extra layer of detail for Dan. And I, I do think John Bishop deserves some credit for, you know, someone who really hasn't had a lot of straight acting roles. Mm-hmm. Prior to this, you know, he is primarily, you know, stand-up, light entertainer, not really someone who's done a lot of serious acting. I think he handles that scene pretty well. Yeah. Um, It it feels like like a, a very truthful moment in an episode that is often quite abstracted in nature. So... He freaks out as he sees the passenger, but then he sees the Doctor too. Um, And the Doctor explains that she's like hiding him in his own timeline. And then the Doctor and Yaz are policewomen together, but the Doctor turns into Yaz's partner as an angel appears. This is where just a thousand things are all happening at once, and it was freaking me out a bit. Yeah. Can we talk about Whitaker's performance as that police officer just moaning about a woman in a shop um, yeah. at the price of Satsumas? She is so good in in that moment. It's easy. I think Jodie Whitaker is one of those actors where it's sometimes easy to forget how good she is. Mm-hmm. You know. She embodies the 13th Doctor so naturally that it's only when you get the moments where she's really stepping outside of that comfort zone kind of performance where you realise just how much work she's doing all the time. Um, anyway, yeah. Um, uh, uh, yeah, and then you get Weeping Adrian. It's, it's, it is, it's a bonkers scene, that one. Then we see Vinda getting a pilot commendation from Yaz. He gets promoted. He's going to go serve the Grand Serpent. Yeah. Do we get a little flash of, you know, someone else in that uniform? We do, yeah. Just to make it clear that that we're we're not supposed to think this was actually Yaz. No, no, it's an old guy. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, then the back to the Doctor's resistance team. They blow entry into Atropos to locate the Ravagers. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the Muri are talking to the Doctor in the time stream. And when the Doctor sees her own reflection, it's Joe Martin. Yeah. So, good to have her back. Just That's not enough of her. Barely. Not enough of her. Yeah, so you agree with everyone else that like those scenes really did need to be Joe Martin front and centre. Yeah, but especially this is the moment where it clicks and you work out that the Doctor in this time is the Joe Martin Doctor and, you know... Yeah. Exactly. You know, I, I think so he clicked like, for me because Yaz calls Dan a big dog. So obviously he's meant to be yeah. Carvanista and this uh, resistance team is actually from, is it the Division? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is a flashback to Division, like actually, you know, doing a job, basically. Mm. And that's that's cool. So give us that. Just give us Joe Martin. And her doctor doing doing their thing. Um, oh, yeah, I it, it, it's the it's the one big mistake of this episode. Generally speaking, I don't really have many criticisms for this. I think it's a fascinating piece of work, and I think an episode of television that that deserves to be poured over and examined from every angle for years to come. But the one big misstep, as far as I'm concerned, is criminally underusing Joe Martin mm-hmm. um, but anyway I won't harp on about it too much um, Dan bumps into Joseph Williamson so he's still got a role to play he just keeps turning up doesn't yeah. he uh, and the yeah. blue cloud just to, familiar just, basically, flies past it seems the, the, the established um, pattern at this point is Joseph William tur- Williamson turns up, you know, and sort of like has a bit of a mad shout at a stranger. Yeah. <laughs> and wanders off again. Absolutely. Yeah, I love it. Um, so then Dan goes back to Liverpool and yes. the doctor appears. She's trying to fix the Murie. Yeah. Uh, Bell has subsequently found a Lupari ship and escaped into space into the cyber sector. So now there's an area of space where the Cybermen are dictating that part of space. Uh, Vinda then goes to meet the Grand Serpent, who is a right slimy sleazebag, isn't he? He surely is. What's the name of the bloke playing him? I can't remember. He's in Line of Duty. Yeah, I remember. I still haven't watched Line of Duty, but but um, I know people who were fans of that show were quite excited to have him in this. Yeah, um, I'm trying. Does he to... does he play does he play a Roggen in Line of Duty? Yeah, he's uh, a crooked policeman. Uh, so it's Craig Parkinson. Right. Is the actor's so, name? So so this this role is not a stretch for him then. No, it's no, it's very it's. Very similar to the role he plays in that. Um, right. So. Yeah, so the Grand Serpent is trying to negotiate some sort of deal. Um, and the 
Grand Serpent also kind of mocks Vinder a bit when Vinder offers his opinion on things. You know, he's really spoken what? down to him. Is, is it mocking or is it almost... I always read it as insecurity. Yeah, well, it's intimidation, like, isn't it, to hold his seat of power? Yeah. Exactly. Basically, he, he will interpret Vinder offering what what essentially amounts to just a little bit of polite commentary on you know the the the, the events before them and he sort of treats it as though it's some kind of insubordination mm. you know um so yeah like it, 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 they're, they're not the chibnall's not wasting any time in making you realize the grand serpent's not a good guy i mean also, I feel like the fact that he goes by the title Grand Serpent is yeah. a bit of a giveaway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Makes yeah. me think a little bit of that Mitchell and Webb sketch, you know, are we the baddies? Yeah. Yeah, I don't feel it's an inherited title. It's clearly one he's given himself, isn't it? <laughs> it seems that way, yeah. Um, so, we then get Yaz playing computer games with her sister until the Doctor takes her sister's place to come talk to her. Um, so the details of Yaz's memories are wrong. So they seem to be in like a different house to where they should be. And a weeping angel appears. And, yeah. you know, it comes through the computer game that they're playing. So Yaz has to smash the console, which gets rid of the angel appearing. And have you noticed it seems to be specifically Yaz that, mm. that the, the, the angel seem, seems to be... Yeah, all her flashbacks, it seems maybe. to be. Yeah. Right, uh, where are we up to? So the Doctor then goes back to Atropos and offers the Ravagers surrender. Again, we get a cheeky little uh, mention of the Division. Yeah. And we finally get an explanation of the passenger. It's a living prison with endless capacity. So the Ravagers are using it because it's full of hostages. And to prove how nasty they are, they just eviscerate one of the passengers. Yeah. It's, and it, I, I can't remember whether they say it's millions or billions in just one passenger, but certainly, I mean, it's a lot. That is... You know, as power moves go, it's a pretty major one. Yeah. Yeah, so we get another mention of the Division, because the planet Time seems to be made by them, it's hinted at. And yeah, potentially. And Azura kills another passenger, just to prove how horrible they are. Yeah. Except yeah. one of the remaining passengers has the Muri hidden in it. So they break out and take control of time and Swarm and Azure are contained and removed. Uh, the Doctor speaks to the Muri and says, can you do this exact same thing in the future, please? Because uh, we've got the exact same problem. And we cut to Belle on her spaceship for a bit as some Cybermen attack. When they ask her a mission, she says, the only mission is love. That's nice, isn't it? It is nice. 
Uh, we then cut to the Grand Serpent again, broker in terms of his negotiation. He says there are nine people who are friends and family of his enemy. He says five of them must be captured, four killed in an accident. Make it look like an accident. Uh, Vinda witnesses all this and wants to report the Grand Serpent for murder. And as punishment, that's how he was reposted to the outpost rows we saw him at in the first episode. Yeah. So. So there we go. We've got we've got our explanation now. Yeah. For how Vinda ended up where he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the past, where we have the Doctor as the Fugitive Doctor, it turns out Dan is playing the part of Carvinista. Um, so yeah. I'm intrigued to know who Yaz and Vinda are playing. And that's true. It's it's not clear at all, is it? I I guess they are just other division operatives that we've not met yet. Mm. Okay, and he clearly knows the Doctor, so carvinista has got something to tell us. Uh, yeah. The Doctor, please. Well, I mean, if you on, recall, sorry. we have we they. We did establish in in uh, the first episode that that the reason that the Doctor was pursuing Carvin Easter in the first place was to try and get some answers about division. Mm. Um, she said, "You know, you're you're the last known division operative." So, yeah, yeah, there is that connection there. Uh, the Doctor then pleads with the Muri for more information, but they decline. And the Doctor is then omitted from kind of the timeline to speak to a lady. Now, I'm going to make a prediction here, David. Okay. Random lady in a lab talking to the Doctor, talking down to the Doctor. I think that's going to be that Tech Tayoon woman. Ah. I think we might get some answers from her in the next few episodes. Good prediction. Okay. We'll have to wait and see. So, that lady, who might be Tectayin, says the universe is over, the Ravagers are a living poison, and the flux was made and placed. So someone somewhere has created the flux and led to all this devastation. Okay. Everyone is then back at the Atropos Temple, this time in the proper timeline. And the thing from before, that big blue cloud, we learn is a particle of the time force. Oh dear. Uh, We find out that Diane has been trapped in the passenger, probably the one we saw when Dan was talking to her. So Dan kicks off a bit, he wants to fight, but the Doctor says no. And the Ravagers leave, and when the Doctor looks in the same mirror as earlier, rather than Joe Martin, she just has her own reflection. Yeah. Uh, so they go back to the TARDIS, which is still pretty broken, the door's still on the floor, mm-hmm. and Vinda says, if this can go anywhere, can you take me home, please? Uh, I, yeah. do, I will admit, Vin, Vinda gets a pretty special TARDIS reaction. You know, we've seen a few over the years, but Getting to like poke his head out, out of the floor into yeah. it, um, and also just the simple what? Yeah. <laughs> I, qu- yeah. I I like it's very sweet. I like that moment a lot. 
Um, and it's lent a bit of credibility by the fact that... Um, oh, I'm blanking on the chap's name again now. Um, the guy that um, plays Vinder. That plays Vinder, yeah. What's his name again? Uh, I can't remember, but I will Google it. I should be able to find it in a second. Um... Jacob Anderson, that's yeah. it. So, yeah, uh, it, it's sort of... It feels especially genuine because uh, it turns out Jacob Anderson is actually quite a Doctor Who fan. Um, specifically, he's he he grew up uh, watching a lot of Seventh Doctor on VHS. Oh, really? So, big McCoy fan, yeah. <laughs> Which is nice. Um but yeah, so I I think it, this from from all the interviews and stuff, it seems like this this was a bit of a dream gig for him. Cool. So, so nice. uh, I did like the bit where Yaz is like, "Come on, Doctor, what's going on?" And the Doctor's like, "Not everything needs to be a discussion." She keeps talking down to Yaz and keeps withholding information. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's becoming a problem, that isn't it? And then Bell and Vinda, we find out, are partners. That's who Bell's been looking for this whole time. Because yeah. she's looking for Vinda because she's carrying his as yet unborn child. It's a weird turn yeah. of phrase, isn't it? What a, what a terrible line of dialogue that is. Well, I had to go back because at first I thought she'd said, Oh, I've got your. When she says as yet, I thought she said as you. And I thought, I was like, why is she uh, their mum or something? But no, put the subtitles on. Carrying your as yet unborn child. (laughs) I mean, you could have taken as yet and unborn out of that sentence and it would have carried exactly the same meaning Mm -hmm. and been a lot more effective. Instead of just making an entire, you know, fandom just sit there going like, <laughs> Very strange choice. I can only imagine that's a symptom of a slightly rushed script. Yeah. Um, so, we travel to Vinda's home. We find out it's been entirely destroyed by the flux. And he leaves to go find Belle. Yeah. So, everyone back on the TARDIS one last time. Except this time, there's a weeping angel on board. Ooh, that's not great. And we end with the line, the angel has the TARDIS. Ah, you see what he did there? Yeah. Good shout back to Blink. Well done. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Um, Like I say, we're at the midpoint of Flux. Mm. Um, Are you enjoying the ride so far, Matt? Yeah, to an extent. Yeah, it's been okay. Yeah. I would say I've enjoyed it more than the last two series, probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll 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 save our final thoughts, obviously, for for the wrap up. Uh, we haven't decided. Are we going to do just a flux wrap up, or do you want to lump in the other specials as well? Um, I think we kind of have to, because otherwise we'll just be. I don't know. Yeah, but because then we'll have just one more episode of Whitaker. Yeah. And you can't do a wrap up just for one special. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's playing havoc with our with our um, our structure. Yeah, I say we just do this and the specials together. 
Yeah. And then we can split it in two if we need to whilst we're doing it. We'll talk about Flux then, the specials. Yeah, yeah. All right then. Well, um, I'm glad you're enjoying it somewhat so far. Um, Will you be... uh, um, I wonder if you'll enjoy it even more when I tell you that the next episode we shall be discussing is Village of the Angels. Mm. So, bit of weeping angel action. I think that is something of a given with a title like that. So, uh, do join us for that, listeners. Uh, but until then, as always, thanks very much for listening. And until next time, cheerio. Bye now. Thank you for listening to neither the time nor the space if you wish to contact us our email address is time nor space pod at gmail.com and on twitter we are at time nor space pod and thank you to alexander urban for his smashing arrangement of the doctor who theme <laughs>